All right, man, welcome to the intro for Crow 777 Radio, episode 72. Jason and I are going to talk about storms. Uh, it's a bit topical, I would estimate. We have two eyewitnesses from Houston that will confirm what's actually happened there. So many people around the world watch American news and call it out for the nonsense that it mostly is. But we can confirm with Randy from Houston and another person who wishes to remain anonymous, who we do know, and I spoke with a friend in the Marine Corps who's there as well, 40-some to 50, early, uh, low 50-some inches of rain, devastation, a lot of places underwater, confirmed by eyewitnesses. Um, They say a lot more, but anyhow, what's in a word, what's in a name, let's play the game. Harvey, battle-worthy, that's what it means. Irma, war goddess, that's what it means. The reason I bring this up is I started to look in as we got into preparing for this episode, how we get our list of names for hurricanes, for storms. Apparently, there is a place in Geneva where a committee sits down to vote on these things. They also do things like retire hurricane names, uh, apparently, of very devastating storms. They then retire or vote on retiring those names. But let's get back to the name game. So we are told there are a committee of people in Geneva that sits down with a list of names for hurricanes and apparently vote on them. I would ask, is there any way in hell... The people voting on a list of names don't understand the meanings of the names. Again, Harvey means battle-worthy. Irma means war goddess. We already saw what Harvey did. Um, And if you listen to this episode, you'll get first-hand accounts. Um, While not so much the intensity of the hurricane winds, the sheer amount of water has done just endless damage. And I'll bring this up, too. Randy mentioned some last-minute news he got from his wife that now there are rumors that a levee was opened and nobody seems to know how, causing more devastation, which harkens back, of course, to Katrina, the whole did someone blow the levees and flood the Ninth Ward. We see these things over and over and over. In this episode, we're going to start to get into the idea of whether storms of this magnitude can be manufactured or steroided up or steered. As Irma steams in towards Florida, Jason and I are still prepping up to cover a bit more of this next week, and we may get some more eyewitnesses in here um, to try to confirm what's actually going on, not relying on news. I would further point out, according to the people that were on the ground in Houston, Facebook became the the biggest purveyor of how they got information, Twitter and Facebook. Um, There were reports of stuff being taken down. There were all kinds of reports of false news and this kind of thing. Uh, FEMA putting up rumor control pages. Um, It never ends. I will point out, emergencies like this never go to waste. Things are done on the tale of emergencies like this. Whether or not you want to consider that we have weather manipulation in our world, what you should consider is what happens on the tail end of an emergency like this. What is done openly, what is done not so openly. Um, one of the witnesses is going to talk about seeing uh, A1, I don't know if that's the right name, Abrams tanks, military tanks, assets being moved into the area. I kid you not. But anyhow, as we jump into this episode, the first two things that are going to happen is we're going to do witness accounts. Randy from Houston will be the second. Again, I spoke with a very good friend of mine from the Marine Corps uh, who avoided flooding, as did Randy. By the way, Randy evacuated to near Baton Rouge. Um, And uh, the second part, we're going to talk with someone from the weather manipulation community to see what those folks are all about. 
Next week, Jason and I are going to go whole hog on taking apart the things that we think are critical in considering um, all around storms, emergency, FEMA, just everything we can get our hands on. I almost forgot. I was going to jump into the episode, but I wanted to cover this. I began to notice um, on Sirius Satellite Radio on every single channel the push to donate to the Red Cross. And there's a reason I'm bringing this up. An ad began to run on television in conjunction with the push from the Red Cross that was in conjunction with Walmart, one of the creepiest corporations imaginable. Um, The ad was saying, for every dollar you give to the Red Cross, Walmart will give two, match two dollars. Of course, there's fine print at the bottom of that ad, a bit like the drug commercials where they tell you your legs will fall off if you take the drug, or the ambulance chaser commercials that tell you these aren't actually real lawyers, this kind of thing. The fine print at the bottom from Walmart said, but we might not give money, we can give goods or services. Shortly after Harvey, it said, thank you, we've collected $25 million dollars. And then there was fine print about goods and services. The reason I bring this up, Red Cross was busted. Uh, If I remember correctly, I think it was on the tale of Katrina where tons of people gave money and then somehow it was discovered the money that had been donated to the Red Cross had not been given. I think it was Katrina. I hope I have it right. It might have been one of the big firestorms in California because that goes on too. But whatever the case was, Red Cross collected all this money. Then they were caught not giving the money to the disaster it was donated for. And they made the claim that it would go to some other disaster. If I remember correctly, the CEO, I think in San Diego or LA, was then fired. And I think it was pointed out they were making hundreds of thousands of years. The reason I bring this up, there are people out there trying to draw the lines that Red Cross and Red Shield are the bankster families. Don't know if this is true, but when you see the full saturation push for donations um, across all serious radio, across all national television, you've got to imagine that's generating a lot of money. Um, that may be something Jason and I try to eye next. And to top it off, Walmart has been running some pretty creepy stuff on television lately. There is one ad where Aerosmith's Dream On is the soundtrack, and it is the creepiest kind of commercial that I've seen in a long time. The undertone is just very creepy. Uh, The people are, it's dark, and the people are like fabricating steel, like bars or something. I don't know what they're fabricating. There's another one running where people are wandering with chairs to meet in a big brown field um, at a long table. Just the whole scent, the odor of these commercials is creepy. And to top it off, Doritos began running its bold bold outbreak ads again on the tail of the hurricane. Or as the hurricane was going on, I think I noticed it. In this commercial, there is an actual map of the world flashed for like three seconds or two seconds where the entirety of the United States is shaded in red and a couple other parts of the world. And I point this out so often. When you are looking at media, you are looking at a stage. You're talking, you're listening to a person right now who spent nearly 10 years as a roadie, as a stagehand. I can tell you, anything placed on a stage for an audience to see was carefully planned for, carefully placed, and then executed in a way that the audience is only allowed to see what the audience is meant to see. Your television is no different, and actually with television, they then film it and edit, giving them another opportunity to plan and implement what the audience is meant to see and remove what they are not meant to see. People need to get their minds right. There's a whole idea out there that when things in the world happen, 
that we suspect went down in a way that was not accurately reported, pre-echoes have occurred. The idea being that you can't infringe on a person's free will or you can't, you know, there's a karmic thing or whatever, however you want to view it, the basic idea is a human being cannot go into the woods, set a bear trap that could not possibly detect, be detected, and then catch another human being. If things are done in that way, there is some cosmic price to pay or Lord knows. My point is this. We see the pre-echoes all the time. Get your mind right. Pay attention to the media around these events. These storms are serious, but the fear porn that comes out of our televisions is helping no one. When a bad thing happens, you remain calm, you help your neighbor, you do what you need to do to move on. Bad thing just happened in Houston. You'll hear Randy talk about everyone pulling together to help. So this kind of fear porn and the nonsense that comes out of your TV, recognize it for what it is. Um, Lastly, I will state, Irma's coming into Florida Who knows what's going to happen? Jason and I are going to prep up. If something big happens, we will again try to confirm actually on the ground what has happened. And again, you know, your news is nonsense for the most part. But you're going to hear Randy and the other eyewitness account say that their local news pretty much told them how it was. Which, I mean, if that's true, that's a great thing. Anyhow, let's jump into this episode, man. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio Podcast. This is uh, episode 72, and in the light of what has happened down in Houston, we are going to be covering hurricanes. Um, I have long thought, long thought, that uh, there is weather manipulation going on in this game, and having done the research playing into this episode, uh, I'm even more convinced, and we're going to have some people on today to try to delve into this idea. But first off, I noticed a lot of people who recognize that the news in America is mostly nonsense and always blows everything out of proportion. With that in mind, we wanted to get some people that we actually know in Houston. We'll have Randy on later. I talked to a friend of mine from the Marine Corps in Houston. We have another person who's going to be anonymous on the phone now that's a friend of ours from Houston. Just to let people know, when a real hurricane makes real landfall, it's a big deal. Um, hurricanes are monsters. And uh, it looks to me like many of these monsters we're seeing now are being generated or at least steered along and amped up. But anyhow, uh, welcome, Jason. Hello, Crow. Okay, um, we've got a gentleman here from Houston, and I, I guess I'll just welcome him because uh, he wants to remain anonymous. Welcome, my friend. Yes, sir. I'm here. So you kind of wrote out what just happened in Houston, and uh, I saw some of the comments you were making online. It looked like you rode most of that storm out in the attic to your house. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was here literally. I mean, really for me, it began on the solar eclipse the day after. I was already preparing for it, and uh, sure enough, I was uh, yeah, pretty much in my attic for hours at a time just collecting gallons of water that was just dumping in. And I've actually since been told that that wasn't even a a structural issue. It was just wind and rain just so intense that it was coming in um, actually through the roof. You know, that's an interesting point you make there that the the eclipse just happened and this storm came in. As we delve further into this episode after we've spoken with you and we've spoken with Randy from Houston, um, we're going to start to look for some of the fingerprints for man-made weather here. Um, What's your feeling? Uh, Do you think that these are natural events? Do you think that they're being developed? Do you think this is part of weather modification? Uh, What's your point of view? That's actually a difficult question because Personally, just uh, almost on a, well, not almost, but 
literally just on a spiritual level, I, I think there's much more going on here than what, you know, we're probably ever going to know in this life, so to speak. But as far as the steering of these storms and just the, because yeah, I've ridden out a ton of these storms in Houston, you know, I've been here my entire life, which has been over 30 years. And I think with the exception of one other category five, perhaps, I think it was Hurricane Ike. That might have been the only one that actually evacuated for, but that didn't even cause a whole lot of damage. And But this time when it rolled in, you could just walk outside and actually you could notice by the rainfall that it was unnatural just by the way it was just because I've been through tropical storms and hurricanes and you could just tell that it was unnatural just by the nature of the rain and the way it was coming down and the wind. And then if you were to take a, just a peek at radar, I mean, you were able to see, and these were official radar sources, you were, you were able to actually just witness the fact that the, the bands of this storm were coming in and they weren't just coming in and, you know, they were staying there atop landfall. This is after it all made landfall in the end. And they were, uh, I guess this is a meteorological term, but they were training over the area. So they were just parked over the area and developing over the area. And that's what dumped, you know, just a ton of rain in a short time. So before I hand it over to Jason here, can you just give us a sense of uh, of the magnitude of what's just happened to many of the places there in Houston so people can get an idea. Um, there's probably a lot of people out there listening that have never been through a, a real hurricane, never mind one of this size dumping the amount of rain it dumped that literally stalled out over the city of Houston. Um, can you just give us a sense of things? And if you want to, uh, I know you had commented uh, in a few places online um, that you thought people might have been forcibly evacuated. But first things first, can you just give people a sense of, uh, of what's you know, what that storm did to your city? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, it was absolute devastation. I mean, it's it's really beyond words. And just to be honest with you guys and anyone listening, um, this is still difficult to talk about. And you had mentioned I had commented uh, a bit early on. And when it first came in, because I was aware of this, the, I think it was the day after the solar eclipse, I'd heard absolutely nothing about this. The day after that solar eclipse, I was made aware of it started looking into it, started preparing, you know, for weeks on end, um, as far as being, you know, prepared for days, four weeks on end. And I mean, it was just severe devastation. I mean, you're talking about when you drive down the road, even just a couple of miles from me, it literally looks like, you know, bombs went off inside of these homes. So the structure itself is still standing, but the sidewalks and streets, um, are just lined with the the entire contents of the home. And that's just, that's very widespread. And that's not even considering the people that are actually, there's just a ton of homes, even as I speak right now. Um, and this is what, about a week and a half later, even as I speak now, there's still homes underwater. And they're actually saying that it might be weeks or months before that water is actually going to fully recede. And for my area, um, that water... There's a couple of major uh, reservoirs and lakes and that sort of thing. That actually didn't even crest until the Saturday after all this was over. How, how much water, how much rain do you think fell um, in the part of Houston you're in? Do you have any idea? Yeah, as far as I have a guy, I actually I personally know him, and uh, he had measured 48 inches, and it did vary. A lot of areas got around 50 inches of rain, and I think I would mentioned this online, too. 
right around, this is a good landmark, right around NASA and JSC, I think they said they had, it was either 42 or 48 inches of rain total. And it was pretty clear that, you know, Mission Control, that's where it's housed, the main location. And I was questioning whether or not they went fully underwater or not, but they were sleeping there. So it was quite clear that, uh, you know, that they were flooded in. And not to mention the fact that just even locally and pretty much everywhere around here, even all the evacuation routes were flooded. So at a certain point in time, obviously, I mean, you know, I had water way up. I mean, it was it was moments away from just, you know, I was about to go underwater. And I would mentioned this before. I can elaborate if needed. But um, it, it was pretty close for me as well. Um, but again, just the, the devastation is just, it's literally unspeakable and still it's difficult to talk about because even, you know, I don't, I literally do not know a single person who wasn't either just most people were directly affected. If not, they were indirectly, whether it was their cars, um, you know, their place of business or work flooded. So it was just terrible for the entire city. And still is. Let's talk about the differences between what really happened for what you I had eyewitness to versus local news versus national news. Uh, what can you tell us about all that? All right. So I don't want to, uh, because I've been aware of this for quite some time, because here's the thing. I don't watch, you know, I don't watch any sort of television. I watch, you know, I, occasionally I watch movies just to kind of sort of, I try to try to get the feel of what's, uh, you know, what's out there, what's going on, what they're sort of telling people, the programming, that kind of thing. But it's all watched with a, you know, just a very critical eye, and you know. Um, but as far as the media locally, they were affected themselves, and so you know, actually the CBS affiliate was pretty early on. They were flooded out, just completely flooded out, and so they actually managed to make their way to Dallas some way. I don't know how they actually got out of the city because we're talking about I-10. If anyone's familiar with Texas at all, you know, I-10 is a major corridor that was flooded. And then, you know, if you were to take uh, 45, that's another major corridor up north that was also flooded. Uh, that that state flooded for a long time. As far as the media is concerned, they actually did. Um, they covered it pretty well because they were affected as well. And so, you know, they covered it accurately at the time. Now, now that I watch the news, I mean, it's just completely saturated. And I know there's, you know, these other couple of storms are rolling in. And I'm sure y'all will get to that later, but um, as far as locally, it was, you know, as far as I'm concerned, because I don't watch the news at all. I might watch a few movies, but I don't watch the news. So when I did turn it on, there was just a stark contrast that I noticed that, you know, it was easy to pick things out. I didn't really see anything sketchy going on there. Once it hit national, which that didn't take long for CNN to show up and all these other, you know, news agencies. And that's when things started to get kind of cluttered and then. You know, did, I, I wouldn't trust any of any of what comes out there. Did you notice message control going on as the storm was coming in or after the fact or at any point during all this? Did you notice message control? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was uh, that that was one thing I did leave out there because I don't want to I don't want to lend too much credence to the media. You know, they did a good job, actually, because there was literally lives on the line. You know, there was people, you know, a ton of high water, just countless. I don't think the numbers are out yet. There was countless just high water rescues going on. And so they were trying to get the information out as best as they could, I suppose. But um, as far as the message control, very early on, in fact, I think I went back and looked at when I had actually commented on this, but I noticed that the the flow of information, and I would almost consider information to be, 
what's going on with that more just important and ridiculous than these storms that are going on because it was so just tightly controlled. And I, I'll never forget the, I saw a press conference very early on. I think it was the mayor of Houston came out and said, you know, it might've been the, I think it might've been the governor. It was either governor of Texas or the mayor of Houston, huge city, fourth largest in the U S had come out very early on and said, you cannot trust anything that comes out of social media. You have to go to official sources which, you know, most of the counties actually did uh, seemingly provide accurate information because it was all an ongoing thing where more flooding was, you know, going to happen, and sure enough, it did. Uh, but definite, absolute message control, no doubt. How about social media? The news is one thing, whether it be local or CNN style, but social media is where everyone lives these days, especially something like Facebook. Right. Did, did you go on there at all? before, during, afterwards, what did you see as far as, again, the compare and contrast to the reality? First of all, I would say the news actually, here, here was my thought. As far as the, and when I say the news, I mainly just sort of mean local media, because see, I'm kind of still in the middle of all this, and it's actually, like I said, it's difficult to even talk about now, but I'm still kind of all in the middle of this, but what I noticed is it matched reality what they were able to report, but I'll just give you a quick example. Um, They weren't able to get their news shoppers up in the air, and that's when I went just live uh, shots from these shoppers that were out there from local media, and that's when I witnessed just a ton of devastation that I had no idea that was actually going to occur, and you're talking about hundreds of thousands of homes there. Um, but to get back to the point, uh, as far as social media goes, the only social media I use is YouTube, and I'm, uh, you know, I've been on YouTube for a very long time. But um, I did use Facebook and Twitter, and I started following a lot of people on Twitter, uh, a lot of officials, as well as further on down the line, including citizens. But it was accurate. But at the same time, it's just. You know, everyone was in a different area, but this this storm it didn't discriminate because there was you know million, two million dollar, five million dollar homes flooded all the way down to low income housing flooded, and it really just kind of depended on where you were at the time. Overall, social media was fairly accurate, and I did keep a a close eye on it, you know, a close eye on it the entire time because I, I expected power to go out the entire time. Also, and that's why when I had originally started talking about this a week, a week or a week and a half ago, you know, they were telling us all the major power companies were saying we're going to have to shut the power off because obviously if the electricity meets water, it's going to cause a problem. So they were actually going to actually shut it off if it didn't get damaged. All right. Well, we're coming up on the top of the hour and we've still got to get Randy in here um, to give us uh, his point of view from what he witnessed down there. But I would like to ask you before we go. Did you notice anything about FEMA? Um, Did you see any message control? Did you see any updates coming from FEMA? Did you hear about FEMA in your area? Any of that? Because I know on the tail of this, all the people who are claiming that every American's going to end up in a Walmart because of FEMA are going to go online and start talking about this. So let's get it straight from the horse's mouth there. You were there. Um, Can you add anything that you may know about FEMA, including message control? Oh, for sure. Uh, let's see. So this has been about, might have been going on two weeks ago. Okay, no, it was right after the eclipse. Again, this was my first sort of encounter, which I wouldn't even call it an encounter. It was just because what happened is once I started preparing, you know, I'm talking about buying bottled water and this sort of thing. So I stopped by Walmart, and of course I saw, not of course, but I went. I stopped by Walmart, and I did see FEMA had a table set up there 
and it was pretty clear to me that they did have, you know, some of the, whatever you'd call them, agents, employees, workers there right around the table. But, you know, it wasn't aggressive. It was more, I don't even know how to put it, but it was more reality-based. It was kind of like, you know, your local Social Security office being there. There was no military presence or anything like that. Now, more recently, they ha- uh, FEMA has actually put up a webpage to sort of dispel rumors, as they're saying, because there are obviously all the all the military and federal agents and agencies are in the area. Um, in my immediate vicinity, as of now, I mean, you can drive out now and you'll see absolutely nothing. Earlier on, during the storm, at one point there was, um, so I'm told, and this is not too far on down the line, pretty close source, you know, the, the National Guard was out, and they did have a checkpoint set up near some flood water. Um, there, were, there were tanks coming in from, uh, you know, the Gulf. I don't, I don't know where they landed there. I guess there's some sort of a – there was a mil, uh, military tanks rolling in, and they, they rolled by pretty close to me, uh, maybe next county over. Saw some pictures of that. So, I, I did. so wait a minute there. You're saying they brought military assets into the area? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was, no, that was, uh, <laughs> I mean, that was widespread. I just, I personally didn't have to deal with it because I stayed home and didn't, you know, I went out a couple of times, but I didn't venture out into the areas where, because at the same time, you know, the military was doing rescues. And I, when I say military, I, I mainly mean National Guard, because at one point I think they had activated 30,000 Texas Guard as well as uh, federal um, National Guard, you know, National Guard. And so there were, I mean, they were, you know, APCs, armored personnel carriers. There were tanks. There were boats. I mean, choppers, wow. 130s. There was everything. It's like, it's like I'd said before, um, well, not on the show, obviously, but I, I'd commented on this somewhere. And there were, I'm trying to remember the day. It was pretty late during the storm, but there were actually... Um, national, as far as I know, National Guard, it didn't have markings on it, you know, no markings that I could see, but I was outside. This is when the rain was still going on, but there was a lull in the rain and the floodwaters around me, I live around a few lakes, which are really just sort of man-made reservoirs, but um, those had started to rise and leveled off with all the flooding. And I happened to know that all the highways around me were flooded too. So there was absolutely nowhere to go. But I'll never forget, I was standing outside with a pair of binoculars, and this was when the rain was actually going to get worse that night. They were expecting 18 to 20 inches of rain, which I think we actually did receive that that evening. Um, but anyway, there was an Apache flying over just super low. I would I was told it was under 500 feet. I'm not sure if that's accurate. It was low enough that I could see this actual, the soldier leaning out the window. And, you, know, you could see the helmet and the, the light vest and the basket and all that sort of thing. So they were actually out looking to do active rescues there. So, so Houston, before we wrap up here, do you have any idea what was done with things like tanks? I mean, it seems a bit weird that there's going to be a storm and devastation and military assets of that sort would be moved in. Do you have any idea where they were put or what was done with things like tanks? They look to me like Abrams tanks. And as far, I'm not sure what the water capacity is or any sort of that, the specs on it, but I did see some video of them rolling by some uh, residential neighborhoods. And as far as I know, I didn't really hear much after, you know, I saw that um, just again through a friend on social media. I actually saw video of it. 
And so, you know, the video was just them rolling by, and I'm not exactly sure what came of that. As far as I know, you know, they moved on to, because after the storm hit Houston, and of course, before that, it hit Rockport. And, you know, I hate to speak for all, because I feel like I'm speaking for a ton of people here. But, you know, I guess it made landfall around Rockport, Corpus Christi around there, moved up to here. Well, after it did that, it moved on to Beaumont and all these other areas. And I was able to pick up radio traffic from a lot of civilian rescuers that were doing the exact same thing, just rescuing people by boat. But again, um, I, I'm not sure what came of all those assets there, but that was, that was open in the uh, local media when they were doing press conferences. And this was the mayor, the governor, whichever, you know, top officials for the area. And they were saying, yes, we do have assets in the area. You know, we have, you know, basically all the agencies FEMA was actually representing in that press conference. And so, that was the sort of thing I saw there on local media, and I'm not sure what came of those assets. All right, well, one one last thing here before we try to get Randy. Did you guys experience a curfew or anything like that? Was there an enforced curfew? There was a dusk to dawn curfew in my county. Granted, half of my county was mandatory, the other half was voluntary, but there was a dusk to dawn curfew, and at the time, I guess it was the counties and cities that had released this information that said, and this was, you know, just straight from the top again, the narrative was that they were going to prevent looting by upping the, the penalties for crime. So uh, I'm not even sure what the penalties are, but if it, uh, say a class one misdemeanor would be bumped up to a class two onto a felony and all this sort of thing, you know, mandatory jail time. And as far as I could tell the dusk to dawn curfew in my area, you know, it was strictly enforced. Of course, if you had to go to work somewhere, you know, say such a hospital or something, you, you could probably, you know, I, I would assume you just get pulled over if you were out in the middle of the night or something like that. But no, absolutely. There was a curfew here, uh, curfew in just the greater area of Houston and surrounding. Um, so it was, it was pretty strict. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, Houston, thank you so much for taking time out on the tale of what you've just been through. Um, very happy to hear that your home didn't get flooded, that your family's okay. Um, truly appreciate you sitting down because I know there's a lot going on around there for you to take time out to do this. Um, Jason, is there anything you'd like to add before we uh, before we say adieu to Houston? Thanks for doing this for us. And uh, if there's anything that comes up in the aftermath of all this, I'd definitely like to hear from you again. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me on just to sort of get all this out there. And again, I, I wanted to kind of comment on this at the, begin at the very beginning of this, but, and I think I sort of did in the middle, but I just kind of wanted to say, you know, I'm, I'm high and dry, but you know, I feel for those that are out there that are not because there's absolutely, you know, a ton of homes and a ton of people displaced. And I hate to add something else in there, but as far as the, the, the FEMA Walmart thing, I get that whole connection. But, you know, most of the people around here and everyone I know, just they kind of take care of themselves and we don't contact governmental agencies like that. And I think if you, if you did, that's when you might actually, you know, because I did hear scattered reports of, for example, there was a shelter that was in place here and they were they weren't flooded, but they were near a highway and they were running out of supplies. And so they bust those people off to somewhere around Dallas. So if you're about four or five hours north. Wow. And at the time, I was seeing family members starting to post on, you know, this was on Facebook, saying, well, how do we get a hold of them? And no one ever responded, obviously, because there was no official on there to reply. But I never did really hear much after that. 
Um, and, and before you had asked me about any sort of mandatory evacuations, what the media was saying uh, from the mayor and the governor, they had literally came out and said multiple times, even if you're under mandatory evacuation, we're not actually going to forcibly make you leave. You know, I, I would I would personally leave before any of that happens because I wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to have to even find out. But as far as um, I think it was in Rockport, and I think you can probably even look this up on the news, but they were they were having all the people evacuated because it was about to just be first it was just destroyed and then it was about to flood. And so they were actually literally putting people on C-130 military aircraft and flying them out. And I didn't see any sort of objections going on, but that's that's just kind of what I saw there as far as evacuations went. So check this out, Houston. We've got Irma, the war goddess hurricane. You know, that's what that name means, war goddess coming in. Um, and for people who may be interested, Harvey means battle worthy. Um, names have meaning. But anyhow, um, if you notice anything more of interest, there's a good chance we'll be covering something about hurricanes in the next show uh, with Irma on its way in as a Category 5. Um, but anyhow, I want to thank you again. Thank you for taking the time out. We've got to shift over to Randy and try to get his first-hand account. But um, Houston, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up here? No, that's it there. So I appreciate y'all's time and uh, be safe out there. All right, man, you've got emails for both Jason and I. Um, again, keep in contact if you think there's something pertinent that people might want to know, because at the end of the day, most people tune into CNN, and I think we all know what that's worth. Anyhow, um, good luck moving forward, and we're glad you're okay. There it is, man. Uh, one live account from Houston. Uh, Jason and I are going to take a quick break here and come back with Randy from Houston to get another live account of what Randy may have seen. All right, man, Crow 777 Radio Podcast, Episode 72. We're back with Randy from Houston to try to get yet more firsthand accounts of the devastation that was left by just basically a ton of rain from a massive hurricane that stalled out over the city of Houston. Welcome, Randy. Good morning, Crow. Jason, good morning, Warren. Good guys. Good morning. So, Jason, I know you and Randy spoke yesterday at lunch, so I'm just going to kick it straight over to you to get going here. Right, yeah, Randy and I had a good couple of hours to catch up yesterday, and the reason we were able to is because of how bad the devastation was in Houston, that it interrupted his business, so he came to the Baton Rouge area to, to do some business for a few weeks while while the cleanup, I guess you would say, is going on. So, so Randy, why don't you tell us what happened, what you saw from your first point of view? Yeah, um, you know, like Jason was saying, uh, I, of course, I'm living in Kingwood, Texas, uh, just kind of northeast of Houston there. And originally, I'm from Baton Rouge area, so uh, I've got a lot of contacts here, friends and family. So when the devastation started hitting, I'm like, oh, I'm preempting this thing. I'm getting up my stuff up and rolling because, you know, three weeks before the storm hit, people were like not calling because they knew a storm was coming. And what I have is I have an automotive aircraft mobile detailing service, which is called Randy's Mobile Detailing in Houston. And you can look it up if you want to check it all out. That's who I am. But, uh, you know, the business started dropping off. So basically I had a three-week vacation before the storm hit. And, uh, of course, it left us with nothing going on. So I'm here in the Baton Rouge area uh, with my sister and uh Kicking up business again and uh, just making some money, keep things moving forward. You know, you just don't want to be another statistic that's out there because you know, so many people has lost, you know, pretty much everything that they had. Uh, but from my point of view, 
uh, it, when the storm started coming through, of course, we we're watching it, you know, like, where do you run or do you stay here? But, you know, we knew that we was going to be okay because where I live, my house is pretty much on high, high ground, so to speak, you know. But just a few miles down the road, there's a major river that runs through called the San Jacinto River and some other rivers and tributaries feeding into that. And, uh, and you got to understand, there's, there's some other factors that's happening all in this flooding thing. Yes, according to what they said, we've got like 51 inches of rain. Oh, my goodness, folks. How do you get 51 inches of rain pounding down in one centralized location? Matter of fact, a year ago, in the area of Baton Rouge and Denham Springs, where I'm located now, they had 30 inches of rain in just a few hours or so many hours, 24 hours, whatever it was. That's astronomical. That's not like just, well, we're going to sprinkle in three inches of rain. It might, you know, a little high water. No, this is devastating amounts of water coming down. Well, in my area, uh, I was high and dry for as flooding was concerned had some wind and stuff but nothing major i fared beautifully so i'm grateful for that part and we just keep business moving forward but just just half a mile to a mile down the road from my house going in the back part of our subdivision it was in a five thousand year floodplain. they have never had water anywhere near even the lake homes we're talking million dollar homes or multi-million dollar homes that had water up to the second story of their house, even some of the homes were washed away. New information coming out last night. My wife had put it on Facebook, and I watched the whole interview. Our mayor of Houston and some local guys that really work a lot with Kingwood, the, this, the little town, I say town, it's like a big giant subdivision, but it's like a town. They were saying that the locks at Lake Conroe and the way he implicated it, he says somebody was saving their own ass and opened up the locks at 2 o'clock in the morning, dumped millions upon millions of gallons of water down the San Jacinto River, which the only place it could go would, go to was in Kingwood. If the two municipalities of the, the, the San Jacinto River Authority and the Lake Houston Authority and the Conroe Lakes or Conroe Reservoir up there – if they were to coordinate it, you can release water in increments, and it will travel down. You might get a little bit of flooding, but not miles inland-type flooding. And that's where the major devastation hit. Of course, all of Houston Houston got hit because not only does the water travel from Lake Conroe into these areas where I live – it floods in other directions also because, you know, there's different tributaries that they let this water down through going toward the Gulf. And that is one of the biggest things that hit. And, brother, let me tell you what, some heads are going to roll over this deal. So that is one of the, you know, my, my account of what I've seen. And, of course, a lot of people might think, oh, these are false flags. Well, folks, it's not. There really was a storm. There really was a lot of water that came down through here. A lot of rain came down because I drove through my area and you look down the streets. It looked like a freaking war zone. We're talking pianos, furniture, not cheap furniture because you're talking about million dollar homes. These people had bedroom suits and everything else just thrown by the road, just trashed, you know. So, yes, it was a devastating deal down here. So, Ran Ran questions. 
Randy, let me jump in here. You know, you're talking about people intentionally opening locks and creating even more de devastation. This harkens back to Katrina. You know, there was a whole argument going on during Katrina that somebody purposely broached a levee, which is what initially did all the devastation in the Ninth Ward. Um, you know, you brought up the word false flag. Uh, it seems a funny thing that something as official as a lock could be manipulated without people knowing Um do you have any insight? I mean, do you see the parallel I'm drawing here to the Ninth Ward? Yeah. Well, let me, let me throw some more information along those lines. I was talking to a fellow that I'm doing some work for right here. Matter of fact, I'm back at his house today detailing his boat since he, he loved what I did to their Humvee. But he was, we were just basing it on yesterday, just talking a little bit. He says, and I said, you know, some people think it's not real and, you know, somebody's doing this. And he goes, oh, yeah. He says, hang on. He says, when Katrina hit, they thought that somebody was trying to wipe out all the black people because, you know, it's a lot of black people down there, whatever. And now he says they're talking about, well, they did this in Houston to wipe out the Hispanic and black people. Wait a minute. Where I'm living, there's a lot of black people there, but there's a lot of Hispanics that live there. A lot of white people live there. So it was not like they was picking out one race or group of people uh, that they was trying to attack. Now in Florida, they're saying, well, now it's Cubans and there's uh, Hispanic and this, this, and that down in South Florida. So they're trying to wipe them all out. Well, where does that go now? I don't have no proof of that. And that's just maybe hearsay, people's conception of what's going on. Or is it? Or is it well, trying? Is it somebody really trying to do something that mischievous or that brutal to a human? You know, it's really outrageous, but hey, some weird stuff has happened in this world, man. You know? Yeah. People kill um, people for real, real weird reasons, you know? Well, there's a couple things I would add. In the case of what happened in New Orleans, um, it was pretty clear that the lower echelon portions of society were going to take the brunt. And, and the whole argument that erupted around how the Ninth Ward initially flooded, whether somebody did, in fact, pop a hole in the levee or not. Um, but it was pretty clear there were shenanigans there, even, even sure. to the point where they saw private security forces unmarked in there. But, Randy, I mean, the unspoken underlying detail um, that's kind of crept into our, our conversation, I got to ask, do you feel like weather manipulation plays into these storms? Whenever I see... 50 or 51 inches of rain falling in a specific area here or in Houston, and then where I'm at, 30 inches of rain. Who knows what's going to be dumped on Florida in the next few, you know, few days? I would venture to say, hmm, how could you get that much concentration of liquid up from a hurricane? I've been through some nasty hurricanes in my days. Dude, I ain't never seen that much water come down. It's like, holy smokes, it looked like somebody had you stand under a waterfall. <laughs> I mean, it's just gushing down that hard. So are they manipulating? I don't have proof. I haven't researched enough to even start. And Jason and I had talked about this a little bit last night, and he was giving me, I don't know if it's a theory or it's a you know proven fact that these are, this is what happened. But we were kind of, kind of discussing. I'm going to just touch on a little bit, and I'm sure you guys will talk on it more. Uh, it was talking about like cooling towers for chemical plants and these big industrial places. These cooling towers, yes, they put out tons and tons of moisture in the air. I worked at a chemical plant 
many years ago. And the rotors on these things are like the ones I work with, was 35 feet across. They had a 2,400 horsepower motor turning six blades. Well, you know that's going to suck up a lot of juice out of this, out of heat and moisture out of these cooling towers. And there was four of them across these towers. There's some cooling towers that are half a mile long and has 15 or 20 of these big rotors across the top of them. So they're going to pull massive amounts of moisture off of these cooling towers. Now, understand, like a radiator in a car, it's under pressure, so the water is not going to boil, okay? In a hurricane, you have a lower pressure because it's, it's pulling moisture up from the ground. It's pulling moisture from everywhere. It's a low pressure. Now you got a cooling tower sitting there with already heated up. It's already putting out steam, and then you put a low pressure over top of it. It's like a vacuum cleaner. It's going to suck everything right out of it. If that is a point that could feed a hurricane, I would say that's a viable that's a viable point. Are they doing other things and letting that be the catalyst? It's all just natural. These guys are working. These chemical plants are working, doing their thing, not thinking nothing of it. But is there a certain other factor outside of that that could be injecting a high energy burst. Who knows? I don't really know. But whatever has taken place, it was massive, dudes. <laughs> I am not kidding you. It was massive. It was nasty. And this next one coming up, Irma, who knows what's going to happen? That thing is like a four or five cat now. You know, it's, it's big. What did you see uh, on the news, local, national? social media versus the reality of what was going on. It's the same thing we discussed with our first guest. Kind of curious how you took that. What's the reality of all that? Well, so, social media is is localized. And, and you know, like you, go, you have a lot of friends and people in your area, like my subdivision. We have Kings Manor uh, uh, next door, it's called. And you can go in there. There's people updating, putting stuff. And what you were seeing on the streets, if you walked out your door and went or drove down the street, what you see is what people were putting on. And yes, the devastation was there. What they were saying on the news was corresponding to what was happening. I mean, there was military helicopters, National Guard, well, it's National Guard helicopters, the Coast Guard. These helicopters are flying. When I say, and if you had a slingshot, you could probably hit one of them. That's how close they were to the trees. They were just skimming the treetops, heading to the back rescuing people out of their homes because of water. One guy say the water came up four feet in about four and a half hours. That's a lot of water in a 5,000-year plane. But what you was, what we were seeing on social media and the news overall was pretty much what, what was there. Now, what the rest of the country was seeing, because our local news, their TV stations and stuff like that, were right in the middle of the, of the water also. So they were reporting... From their, you know, their outside reporters were trying, trying to travel around town to get to these areas just to report on it. And so what we seen here was actually what was taking place. Now, what the rest of the country saw, that I don't know. Maybe Crow can interject something on that because he was probably the furthest away from all of us from the storms, you know. Sure, yeah. What, what I wanted to mention was the, the idea of message control. You know, it's always funny to me uh, when these hurricanes are still way out from landfall, how much precise information we end up getting about them. Um, sometimes the exact place of landfall differs a little bit, but a lot of times they're telling you uh, what's about to happen before it happens. And what I notice 
is message control. Uh, what I notice is places like FEMA posting things after the fact to try to knock down what they're calling rumor mill. Uh, what I notice is people claiming a lot of Facebook stuff was posted and then removed. So I suspect what will happen on the tail of this is that we will see more of a lockdown on social media. What will be cited to do the lockdown on social media is all the supposed jackasses who caused trouble during a real disaster, um, this kind of idea. But let me shift off that for a second, Randy. Did you see... Okay. I mean, you, you mentioned some military assets. Our last guest that we just had in uh, mentioned he actually saw Abrams tanks being moved into the area. Did you see any military assets of that kind being moved into the area? None, none whatsoever, none whatsoever. And we had people who were sharing uh, uh, like Facebook Live. You know, they'd go to certain overpasses. They would get out of their car and they'd walk up these overpasses because the main roads below were just under 40 feet of water and stuff like this. And they were doing live video feeds and stuff. Uh, never seen any military uh, trucks or anything like that, although they possibly could have had the National Guard or military out in different areas, especially in the areas where heavy looting could take place. They may have had it. What I've seen, and this is only what I've seen, I'm not vouching for anything else in Houston or around the area, was the the you know, military helicopters, and it's the Air National Guard, and I'm familiar with the helicopters because I do a lot of work where the National Guard Armory is, and, you know, I could see them flying, you know, from those directions, uh, you know, refueling, whatever, and coming back, and they would, and it was, of course, uh, uh, Coast Guard also because you had the red and white plane helicopters flying through, but what they were doing is they were rescuing people, peeling people off the roofs and stuff, and bringing them to higher ground, dropping them off, and heading back in. It was just back and forth, back and forth. So that part I feel like was legit. And matter of fact, a friend of mine, they're they're pilots, and of course they were out of town because of all this. And they called me and said, "Hey, we got some friends that are in Kingwood." that has just been rescued from their home and they're at a certain, certain spot. Can you go pick them up? So I sure, sure, man. I'll, so I headed back in there and, and picked them up and brought them to his house because his house was empty. And uh, they were telling me that the helicopters were just coming in, doing rescues for people who just couldn't get out. When I'm saying my wife and I drove through there after the fact on Sunday, we drove through there and I could see the watermarks on the tree. And we've got a VW Astro, I mean, a VW uh, Rutan van. And the water, the water line would be over the roof of the car. So it's probably five to six feet deep in most areas. And I wasn't even into the deepest part of where the water was. This is just in the first stages going into that area. So, yes, the water levels were up in, in the Kingwood Town Center. It had four, five, six feet of water in some areas, brand new HEB, Raisin Cane's places and Whataburger. You can see the watermarks on the building, you know, just right up there. So, yeah. So, so check it out, Randy. We're going to have to start to wrap up here. Um, sure. We've got a person coming in who's a bit of an expert on the weaponization of weather. Um, we're going to be shifting over in that direction. I want to thank you for taking the time out, yeah. uh, considering you're evacuated right now. Um, <laughs> but I think the main point we're hearing here is that hurricanes are monsters, and real hurricanes bring real devastation. Um, yeah. Our last guest estimated 40-some inches in a very short period. You estimated 51 inches. This is no joke. Um, from, from my part, the main question here 
is, is this weather being manipulated? Are these storms being beefed up or generated and steered? And I think mm-hmm. the argument could be made that they are. But anyhow, Randy, is there anything you want to add in before we wrap up and, and move forward with the show? No, guys, uh, I really don't have a whole lot more. I mean, that's just kind of a, a brief synopsis of what took place in my area. And anytime you have devastation, if, if there's any good that comes out of all this, which, you know, it always heals itself. I mean, things come back together other than the number of people that lose their lives and all this. But what I have noticed, and if this is a good thing, I think it is, is that people who normally are saying like, well, I don't like that person because this skin tone or that person because this nationality, whatever. I've seen people helping people they probably wouldn't have ever helped before. And I see when you go out the, out the little store, you stop to get gas, some people nodding their head. You're doing okay? You're doing okay? Yeah, man, we're doing good. So the consciousness of people is changing to be more loving and are more appreciative of their neighbors and friends or just total strangers. That is a good thing, but it's a shame that we have to have a devastation for that, that particular part to happen. And, of course, as I say always to everybody, if no one loves you, I do. And let that be known throughout the world, man. I want to start it with myself, guys. Well, right right on, Randy. Um, it's great to hear something like that on the tail end. It is a shame we need a disaster, but it's yeah. good to know that that kind of thing's going on. Jason, anything for the wrap-up? We're glad you're safe, Randy. Thanks for coming in here, and we'll talk soon. Great. Hey, appreciate the dinner last night. I needed that. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> All right, guys. Y'all have a great one. We appreciate y'all, and uh, y'all have a good one. We'll see you. All right, man. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome back to Crow 777 Radio Podcast. This is episode 72. We have Raphael with us today, who is a bit of a weaponized weather expert, and uh, she is known online as Nola Butterfly. Uh, Jason is back, of course. Uh, Before we get started here, um, you know, the research that I did this week, for a long time, I have been of the mind uh, that these gnarly massive storms, and they are gnarly, and they are massive, and they are doing damage, uh, are weaponized weather. Uh, And I think that this plays into the whole global warming argument that's being pushed where we're being told global warming is going to kill us all and the the storms are going to get worse and worse. I don't think there's any separating any of these ideas. For the most part in the United States, people are so inured by media that they literally sit in front of their televisions and drool. To some degree, it could almost be said that we don't have any culture in the United States. What we have is some television shows and movies that we watch. Uh, It's gotten that bad with the media saturation. How many people can even recall that 12-14-2012 Sandy Hook occurred and there was a hurricane which was said to be the most devastating in that season, again called Sandy on 8-29-12, of course 29 encoding 9-11. As I got into the research for this episode, I began to look up how the storms get named, where they get named, this kind of thing. Uh, Apparently this happens in Geneva, and apparently these things are voted on, so I will bring this up before we get started with Raphael and Jason. The storm that just came in and did all the flood damage to Houston was called Harvey. The meaning of the name Harvey is battle-worthy. We have another Cat 5 coming into probably Florida, um, which is named Irma. The meaning of that name is war goddess. So I will posit this question as we get started here. How is it possible that we have a commission, apparently in Geneva, that votes on the names of hurricanes that does not understand the meanings of the names they are voting on? Anyhow, welcome back, Jason. 
Hello, Crow, and I think this is going to be some really interesting stuff we're about to get into. Yeah, man, I'm not pulling any punches here, but welcome, Raphael. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So I'll tell you what, Jason, I'll let you get started on the tail of my intro here. Why don't you kick it off? All right. So, Raphael, since this is totally your thing, and Crow and I only really very recently started looking at the idea of weaponized weather, how about you go into the history of weather modification in general and how that led into weaponizing the weather? Sure. Well, I mean, it's pretty simple if you've ever been around a little boy. Um, Man is curious, and since before aviation history actually took off, man has been experimenting with the idea of controlling the weather. There were uh, sulfur cannons shot off in the pre-Napoleonic eras. There were balloon experiments Uncle Sam funded in the 1800s, throwing chemicals up in the air. After battles, it was noted, uh, there would be increased precipitation, and there were theories as to why that was. Some said it was the souls, you know, uh, leaving the bodies. Others said that it was the, the, the cannon fodder that was fueling the the weather making and our first history of weather making actually ground based weather making was well it goes on before that but in 1916 Charles Hatfield flooded San Diego who was offering ten thousand dollars to anyone who could help end a drought that had been going on and fill their reservoir and he took a few weeks but he set up and then he required room but he not only filled it up but he flooded it and the surrounding areas, taking out livestock, taking out lives, taking out crops, and leaving millions of dollars of liability behind him. And they said, okay, well, he wanted his money because he did his part. And they said, sure, but you're going to take the liability, which was not worth the $10,000. There was way more damage. And this is a classic and not unique example of how liability forces the need for anyone using this technology to go underground. Weather modification is always underreported, underplayed, underacknowledged, or undercredited for its purposes, its its abilities. Oh well, it's not that effective. Oh, like heck, heck it wasn't. And here we're going to come into the weaponization. There are stated intents of harnessing different elements of the Earth, including the different reflective properties of the Earth's energy balances, like created by shading with clouds and albedo modification. We we have, gosh, we have lots of documents back in the 40s talking about if we could just use the power of the sun, you know, but by, by working with these clouds. And you know, when they were actually noted persistent contrail formation back in the day, it was rarer than we're seeing now. Now we have a lot more persistent contrails happening in conditions that wouldn't normally yield it. And this is for a few reasons that we can get into later on. The subject gets really confusing. Are they chemtrails? Is it geoengineering? Is it cloud seeding? Is it weather modification? And for this purpose, I like to engage the word climate engineering. Climate engineering includes geoengineering, which is actually a bogus term used to justify the technology. The problem is a little bigger than CO2. In fact, there's a big cover-up of truth. The truth is usually split up amongst the different factions with about 10% of the essential, 5 to 10% of the essential narrative missing. And what I recently realized, weather modification history aside for a moment, is that there's a big part of the narrative that is missing. It's, it's a huge part. And neither the left, the right, nor the alternative have been 
appreciating the significance of this. And I will just put this question out there. Do you guys know what the most prominent greenhouse gas on Earth is? You know, I, I would have to say I don't know. I've been told it's carbon for so long um, that I, I guess I have and I can't even venture a guess. Well, I know they say it's carbon dioxide, but I don't know if that's the uh, the real answer. And you would be correct in presuming that based on IPCC graphs that are spread around because they show that CO2 is the largest part of the pie. But actually, when you look at the real scientific pie, the, the, the big chunk of the pie, the real uncensored graph that the IPCC can't deny, it's a scientific fact, but they try to omit it as much as they can. This represents a billion-dollar secret because it's a scientific fact, and yet nobody realizes that water vapor, not CO2, not methane, is the most prominent greenhouse gas on the planet. So it sounds like you're getting ready to suggest that in the idea of weaponizing weather, in the idea of weather modification, water vapor plays a huge role. Is that correct? It's not my idea. I'm going to quote NASA. Okay, that has their documents, the importance of understanding clouds. Now, we have different opinions of NASA, all right? I personally don't believe a lot of their things, but a lot of their raw data can be trusted. It's just their interpretation and spin of things that get gatekept and bamboozled. But on this, we concur, and this is a scientific fact, that even small changes in the location or abundance of clouds can change the climate even more than the anticipated changes from other greenhouse gases, human-produced aerosols, or other factors associated with global change. This is huge. It's hiding in plain sight. What they don't want us to know, a lot of people have been complaining about chemtrails, and you get everyone rolling their eyes. Oh, chemtrails, you're such a conspiracy theorist. Well, first of all, I wrote a whole series for the Liberty Beacon Project called Correcting the Contrail Narrative. Because when you understand that even contrails matter, like I just said, because it is the most prominent greenhouse gas on the planet. And we're not just talking about accounting for the natural water vapor cycle that's there. We're talking about like condensing clouds, condensing water vapor. So now you have an albedo modification. You have a, an ability to trap or to reflect heat, like that changes even the value of heat worth of the water vapor itself. You have see different means of inserting water vapor into the atmosphere. And what they really don't want you doing is they want you looking at the clouds. They want you calling them chemtrails. But even contrails, according to the EPA and FAA, I will only cite official documents, by the way, here. I mean, I've got some theories, but I got so much official documents, I, I could just work with that. And that's what I like to do. The EPA and the FAA contrail fact sheet says, oh, no, these contrails are nothing to worry about. They are water vapor, CO2, sulfur, NOx, nitrous oxide, and other chemicals. But don't worry. Don't worry about it. Well, I mean, condensation nuclei, you just need a little bit. And the thing about the chemtrails is that they, the contrails can create the conditions that supersaturate the air, allowing for contrails to persist in conditions they wouldn't normally persist in. So at the best, if you want to be a conspiracy denier and uh, have a reality bias, it's a serious contrail pollution problem, which they're happy to ignore. So I put it back in their lap. I said, well, let's talk about the contrail pollution problem, which could be weaponized because there's nothing stopping it from being weaponized. 
I've re recently tried to reach out to the National Weather Service and my local meteorologist to hold them accountable for the narratives they're telling and omitting, especially because people call in right all across the nation and, and they complain about the chemtrails. Well, we've used that word, and so they just laugh at us and call us crazy conspiracy theorists. But the fact remains, your internet conspiracy hoax is taking over my sky because the blue sky went bye-bye when the planes flew by and had their just water vapor contrail take over the sky. And that needs to be talked about. That's albedo modification. That is geoengineering, the blocking out of the sun. The narrative has gone even further than that, even than most people in the chemtrail community realize. Jim Lee does a great job of covering everything regarding jet fuel and jet fuel additives and how they know the contrail pollution problem is a problem. And they also have a dual fuel solution for the contrail pollution problem where they can have a biofuel. They don't really want to pollute people down on the ground, right? By the airports, they can't have too many people dying. So they need to like the biofuel, but then they can go up and spray sulfur in the air. And that would counter the, the carbon cabals going after them because they can get credit for doing sulfur fuel injection, which is geoengineering. And this is going on right now. And so they know they, they said they've already stated that they need to create more contrails in the daytime to block out the sun, but none at night so that they don't trap the heat in. Now, Raphael, we're actually at the top of the first hour, so let's hold it right there, and then we'll pick that up when we come back for hour two. Okay, Jason, we'll wrap up hour one here. Uh, we should give a breakdown a little bit. Uh, in hour two, we're going to jump into the idea of actual weaponized weather. Um, we're going to try to address some ideas out there, like is it possible that a hurricane could even be generated by human beings? If a hurricane could be generated, could it be steered into a certain portion of the world intentionally? Um, we're going to try to get to some of these things. And uh, as you can tell from having heard from Raphael in the opening here, uh, she's done a lot of research uh, in the community that tends to cover the nuts and bolts of what weather modification may be, which is a far cry from what I have done. What I did is I took a camera and I pointed it at the sky when I saw the white lines turning my blue sky white uh, and realized that there was something to this. Anyhow, Jason, anything you want to add before we cut and uh, prep up for the second hour? Well, the big thing I want to make sure we get into in hour two that I'd like to let everybody know is that there's a lot of disinformation out there regarding chemtrails and geoengineering and weather modification and the weaponization of weather. And I really want to hear what Raphael has to say about that, because this is what we're finding, that there are major players out there in the chemtrail genre, if you will, who might not be working for our best interests. And I'd really like to let everyone know we're going to get into that. All right, man, there it is. That brings the first hour of episode 72 of Crow Triple Seven Radio podcast to a close. Uh, we're going to prep up here and come back for hour two. There it is, man. Cheers. Cheers. 